real life superpowers. There is a phrase, no matter if the situation is good or bad, it's going to change. And and people, when, you know, things are bad and terrible, like we experience now in Israel, probably it's going to change and it's going to change for good and for a long time. And uh, yeah, I really believe in it. Hey all, welcome to a new episode of the Real Life Superpowers podcast. I'm Noah Eshed, here with my co-host Renan Manipaz. It's days of war here in Israel, and sitting down to record this doesn't feel natural. But we believe that literally the show must go on. Any other way would mean letting Tara win, and that isn't an option. So today, we're pleased to have Andy Ram as our guest. Andy made history by becoming the first Israeli tennis player to win a senior Grand Slam event. He achieved this feat at Wimbledon in 2006. His winning streak includes the French Open mixed doubles title and the men's doubles title at the Australian Open. He achieved the world number five doubles ranking in July 2008. Throughout his career, he represented Israel at multiple Summer Olympics and competed in 36 doubles finals, triumphing in 20 of them, often partnering with Jonathan Ehrlich, together known in Israel as Andy Yoni. Andy's success on the court is just the beginning of his incredible story. As a former IDF soldier, Andy used this platform as a tennis player to raise awareness and support for the IDF soldiers and their families. He's also dedicated himself to promoting peace and coexistence between Israelis and Palestinians through tennis. Exactly the person to speak with these days. Let's welcome him to the show. Real Life Superpowers Superpowers. Uh, Andy, welcome. Thanks. It has to be the most surreal opening we ever had, seeing as we just had a siren uh, and we had to go to a safe room. And this is a really surreal situation to be in, uh, but it's also so representative of our lives right now. So how, how are you these days? <laughs> this is crazy. This is crazy. It's a crazy world, crazy countries that we live in. Um, this is our reality. It's uh, it's again happening again. We we've been through many wars since I'm a little kid. I remember running to the shelter since '91 that we had this war. I was 11 years old, and until these days, my kids are running now to the shelters. This is re the reality we're living in. Complicated uh, neighbors, and um, yeah, I guess we should uh, stay strong. The atmosphere is terrible, it's bad. I know everybody knew somebody that knew somebody. I personally had people that worked for me that uh, uh, died in these terror attacks. And so going from funeral to funeral, from Shiva to Shiva, um, to people that lost their houses, going, playing with kids, and going to speak motivated speech, talks to, to soldiers. So every day I'm trying to keep myself busy. It's like war days, you know, that... Uh, um, Yeah, it's not, it's not fun and easy to be in Israel these days. Um, but we're optimistic. We, we, we should be, and this is my character, and I believe that uh, we're going to get stronger. We're going to get out of it uh, stronger and better, and I think with lots of hope for a good future in Israel for many, many, many years to come. 
And um, yes, this is the situation. Uh, but we have to keep going, go on. And uh, yeah, and like you said, I think uh, when we talk to text, uh, we can't let the terror win. And uh, we, we have to keep going on with our, our lives. And even though it's tough, we have to be, we have to be tougher, you know? Andy, does it, so like I have to tell the truth in this podcast. First of all, I'm a, I'm a very good friend of Andy's, and I had also the the privilege play tennis with him um, or survive a little bit of tennis in uh, in front of him. And like one of the amazing things is also like how he, he speaks is um, he always has that smile, okay, and he always has that energy, and he's always picking up other people, and he's you know like he he he. He said a game, right? So, like, he has that mindset of everything is, is you know, gamified. And, um, you know, is it, like, it's, I don't know, it's like, you know, the, like being, like, just to understand the audience being number one in the world that here, here this is where I'm going to bridge it from the war to grow up in a place where, you know, you're going to shelters, okay, and you have to do the army, and you know have the resilience of being it's it's not like you can only do sports and you're only an athlete so like you know growing out as up as an athlete okay and again being number one in the world against all odds um you know and going through shelters bombings army and all of that like like how 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 like how did you believe you can be there because there's people who are like from six years old in academies they have total quiet you know they have the perfect gyms, the perfect, they, they don't have to do the army. They don't have the, all, all the, you know, the noise that we have. How'd you do it? I think uh, it's interesting because um, in the, I always say in the top 100, there are hundred in the tennis. In top 100 players, the, the best tennis players in the world, there are 100 different stories on how they achieved being top 100 or how did they get there. They're coming from different backgrounds, different countries, different uh, way of training, and they still got to top 100. So I think uh, my story is that uh, I wasn't that super talent. I'm coming, yeah, from a not rich family, kind of poor. When we came to Israel, I was born in Uruguay. When I came, when I was five, to Jerusalem, we didn't have much money. And my father, which was a soccer player, didn't want me to play soccer. He wanted, really, I'm serious, he wanted a net to separate between me and my opponent because he didn't want anybody to touch me. And so I, I won't get injured. And this is how I got to play tennis, slowly, slowly. Um, I wasn't as super talented like, you know, the top players that you see Feder or some other guys that great hands and footwork. I was a bit small, chubby, you know, like a bit uh, fat, a little boy. Uh, wasn't, uh, I wasn't fast enough. I wasn't tall, didn't have big serve, but I had something that uh, always pushed me. It was my hunger to succeed. I had like an inside hunger, that uh, hunger from food, right? Like kind of like that... I always wanted to do well in sports. I always wanted to play in sports. I, I always wanted to uh, to do either soccer or basketball or tennis when I was in tennis because I wanted to compete. For me, for me sports was a way to get um, um, much more popular in society. You know, when you're a good sportsman in school, everybody likes you. Everybody want to be friends of yours. Everybody want to play when you're good in soccer, so everybody want to be around you. When you're a good athlete in sports uh, in school, uh, grade a, a, a one, two, three, you know, Aleph, Bet. So everybody wants to be around you. And this is how I wanted to be like a good sport. I remember myself coming to Israel until today, 
people, kids were laughing at me about my accent. They used to call me, like, Andy, what's your name? Can you tell us your name? Andy Ram. Can you have Arti Karti, you know, with this, this funny R accent? And I remember, I still remember it because when I was good in sports, everybody wanted to be around me. And I had many friends because of that. And this is how I grew up to be a good good tennis player, not because of my, my foreign backhand, because of my attitude of competing and wanting to win and wanting to play. And I loved it so much, like when you start winning a lot when you're young. And I was one of the best kids under my age when I was 10 years old. And then when I was 12, I was one of the best in Israel. And then when I was 13, end of seventh grade, which I was young, I was just thinking of it now, I decided that I'm gonna leave home. And I took my parents and I told them, listen, I wanna focus on tennis. I, I wanna put everything that I have in tennis. I wanna be a professional. And it's not enough what I did in Jerusalem in this, uh, I don't know how you say hug, like, you know, when you go like for an hour or hour and a half. Yeah, so I said, it's not it's not enough for me, this after school training, I wanna take it seriously. And then was a time when I moved to a sports institute and this uh, movement from Jerusalem to the Sports Institute at Wingate uh, was very crucial for me because remembering myself at 13, I knew exactly that it's, if I want to be a professional, it's not enough to practice hour, hour and a half in Jerusalem. I have to practice much more. And for me, it was the switch between an amateur to a professional from one hour practices every day to seven, eight hours practicing every day. And that's where I started, like at Wingate, when I was 14, 13 and a half, uh, practicing every day, mornings, afternoon, took it like a, like a profession. When I was young, when I, I was dedicated for the... But how did you know in like in grade six and seven that you were good at it? Like at right. 13, if you were already first in Israel, okay, I'm understanding that. But when you were six years old, when you were in grade six, what gave you the confidence to do that? So when, I, when I'm six, so I grew up to be one of the best in my group. And always, like I said, I was something special with my attitude, not with my foreign back, which, I, by the way, attitudes, attitude is very important. Like when you take a sportsman, there are different kinds of talents. When I look on sportsmen, like a little kid, you can have the physical talent, you have the technical ta talent, you have the tactical talent, and you have the mental talent. Like each one of them, it's a different talent, which is good. You know, some players have like amazing foreign back and which they can do everything with the ball. This is a technical talent. But they don't have the mental talent, the toughness. Like you fight every point you're going to fight and you're going to compete and you're not going to give up on one ball, which is a different talent. And I think this is a talent that not too many people look and pay attention on it when you're young on this mental strength and you, you don't give up and you keep on trying and you love it and you do it and every day you come in and you're going day in, day out. You don't give up practices. And this is something that I had as a little kid um, that you could see like right from the beginning. If you talk to the coaches that coached me when I was six years old and then later when I was nine, ten years old and then when I was 30, they will all tell you the same, that I was always like, angry to compete and to play and to I, I came to the practices with with passion and uh, I, I had this passion for the sports and I think this is something very important as a kid uh, a professional kid somebody that want to do it well if you ask all those kids that did well in life I think they had this passion this, this you know this uh, something inside that they came to practices with uh, lots of uh, joy I would say or um, 
they didn't miss practices. I, I never missed practice. I was going to all practices, no matter what happened. I was going there, and uh, yeah, I really loved it. I really loved uh, what I did when I was young. Obviously, that helped me to win when I was eight years old, ten years old in this uh, national competitions, tournaments. I was one of the best players, and it it fills you with confidence. And you build the confidence slowly, slowly by winning matches, finishing the year number one or two in your country. Then when you feel like you are one of the best in Israel, you take it more seriously and start playing tournaments around the world. And also over there, I did well. Since I was 14, 15, 16, I was one of the best in Europe, in the world. And growing up with the best players that later become champions in singles, Feder, Safin, Ferreo, Gonzalez, so many great uh, players so you realize slowly slowly that you have the talent and um, like i said it doesn't have to be like foreign backend talent at uh, different talents um and yeah i, I decided to develop it uh, seriously um i think uh, one of the things that i didn't mention which was for sure a key for my success was my parents uh, when i was young they always pushed me they always believed in me uh, they weren't cynical, you know, like something that I see parents these days when I see them talking to their kids and I hate it because I hate it. It's a, they've been like cynical to their kids. And when you're cynical to a kid, I, we can be cynical to each other and we'll understand uh, each other because we're adults. But kids, they don't get cynical uh, with um, phrases or things. You know, when you see a kid and you tell the son, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You, you shoot like, uh, like LeBron James, yeah, yeah, right. When you, the son barely gets to the basket, this is like something that we understand, the adults, you know? Oh, great kick, great kick. Like, oh, this is exactly like Messi, perfect. When you kind of go down on your son or like you, being cynical with those kind of, it, you don't feel it because as an adult, it's, it's normal for us. But the kids, they don't understand it. So as a kid, I always grew up with this attitude that my parents believe I'm a champion. My, my parents always gave me this feeling that I'm the best player in the world, that I can be the best player in the world. This is something that I grew up in, 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 in my house. And uh, it was, you know, it, it was something that I always remember. My mother, my father always supporting me. No matter if I win or lose, they're always behind me, always, always behind and pushing me and reminding me that, I'm on the right path. And I think this is something very important when you have the support from the parents and people that believe in you. I was lucky to have great coaches. I think since I was six years old, you know, when I when I retired from tennis um, seven, eight, seven, eight years ago, I did a, a movie of my retirement. Uh, it took like my last year and I did a movie. And I invited people, like, instead of crying in front of the microphone and TVs and this, oh, yes, I stopped after 20 years. I did a movie. I invited all my friends, family, and everybody. And I didn't tell, tell them what, what the movie was about. Obviously, it was a retirement movie. But I'm telling you this because the first people I invited to the movie were my coaches. Since the first coach I had in my life, I didn't forget any coach, fitness coach or tennis coach. I invited them all, you know, they were shocked that I, I remember I coached, he coached me when I was six years old until nine years, suddenly you get a phone call from me. So I invited them all and I thanked them all because I was really lucky with coaches. The coach is a critical thing when you are a kid, especially to have a good coach that believes in you. It comes to the practices. He doesn't earn a lot of money. He doesn't get the fame. He doesn't get anything. He needs to come with passion and he needs to come with this desired dream.
to make a player, to make him be a professional as much as the player wants to be. And it's not easy to find those kind of coaches these days. It's very tough to find like a guy that is really dedicated and is willing to, to give up some of his things in life, family and friends, well, just to make a player, a professional player. So I really thanked all the coaches. So I'm, I'm talking here like about coach and I'm talking father, parents, mother, and talking about myself. What I'm trying to say here, to be a professional athlete, to be a top professional athlete in soccer, in basketball, in tennis, it's, it's a, I'm, I look at it in a way that it's a big puzzle, right? And you need the all pieces to be right, like a, a place to practice, the coaches, the parents, what you eat, how you sleep. You need the whole puzzle to be correct. The parents and the coach is huge. And for every top athlete, those important pieces are there. The coach, the family, the, I mean, the athlete himself, you have the, where you practice that you need a good environment because if you are in a competitive environment, it's going to be much easier for you to succeed. And unless you are like growing by yourself and you think you are the best in the world, nobody can touch you. And it's, it's, it's tougher like to get the motivation. When I grew up, I grew up with lots of kids that were maybe better than me. Some of them worse. And I, I always had to compete. Somebody is pushing in my neck, like trying, you know, and the other one, I was looking up to him and I wanted to be like him. So there was always a, a, a good competition. And, and this is something important also to grow up in the competition. And so, I mean, I, I have so many things like in the puzzle, like I'm talking about. Let's talk about the puzzle though, because there's a piece of the puzzle. So your partner in doubles, okay? How did you, like, was he your first partner? Uh, you know, was it, was it, was it that, and you were just, you know, uh, persistent enough to, to succeed with him or was it like, uh, well, how'd that happen? So my, the, this piece of a puzzle, Jonathan Ehrlich, so he did his, his thing in singles. I did my thing in single. We were both good single players, decent sing, singles players, but we were very good doubles players. Both of us, we have what it takes to be good doubles players, very aggressive, serve, volley. We have the, what it takes. I'll tell you the story between me and Yoni, and when you see him, you know Yoni, you ask him about it, um, and why it clicked so well. Yoni Ehrlich played with 20 different players in Israel, including the, everybody that you know, Noam O'Connor, Relevin, Ofer Selanir, Velgin, Gilad Blue, Eyal Ran, Eyal Ehrlich. I will tell you all the names. Yoni Ehrlich played with all of them. What happened was with Yoni Ehrlich, Amir Haddad, Noam, everybody, when they played with him, they did okay. They did well. They all looked at Yoni as a choker. You know, choker, when somebody's choking in the money time, like when it's getting tougher and it's, it's money time, he chokes. And everybody called him choker. Oh, Yoni is a choker. Yoni is a choker. Yoni is going to choke. He's going to be for all dude. Yoni is going to choke. Yoni is going to miss the four. Yoni is going to double fall. And this is how everybody in Israel tennis looked at Yoni. I was younger than you. I'm still younger than Yoni. Three years younger. When I grow up, I look at Yoni as like a, Unbelievable player. I always wanted to play with Yoni. I always looked up to Yoni. I, I said to myself, I wish one day Yoni will play with me double. 2001, the day uh, we arrived to this day that I decided, I mean, I was already a decent player, um, 21 years old. And I asked Yoni if he wanted to play with me. Uh, there was a tournament in England before Wimbledon. And 
He said, you know, he kind of did a, a favor to me. And he said, yeah, let's go, let's play. He couldn't find anybody. And he did a favor to me. And I looked at Yoni, like, you know, somebody that is in love with a woman, you know, the first day, like, my eyes were like, <laughs> I remember myself eating an ace. First match, I'm eating an ace and I go to Yoni and I congratulate him. Yoni, thank you very much. You stand right where you, I wanted you to stand. I, I was eating great chat and I was, Yoni, thank you, thank you. I was unbelievable in love with him. And this relationship, you know, that I looked at him different than other players. I looked at him on, I looked only on the good things that Yoni had. I looked on his amazing returns, amazing uh, seven volley, the way he ran, the way he helped in the net. I looked only on the good things. I didn't care about the, the forehand or whatever shots on when he get pressure. I, I, I didn't look at it. I looked only on the good things. And I think that gave Yoni much more confident and he played much better with me than he played with the others. He felt like he's much bigger on the court. He's much confident. And I think this is the the key of our success, the way we looked on each other, the way we we gave compliments to each other. We we really encouraged each other on, on, in a good way. And we both felt it. And that was something that uh, I think worked well during our career, this positiveness on the court, um, which, you know, affected him. Then later our opponents, when we both standing like this, with smile, with, you know, lots of uh, energy on the court, it affected our opponents and they feel it. When you go and you stand like this on the court and you go down and say, oh, why I missed this? Oh, my terrible back and oh, my terrible serve. Oh, I'm, I'm going to double for... They feel it as well. So I think this is what our strength, like this power of us, like giving compliments to each other, looking on the good things and it affected later on. So when you ask Yoni, ask him about it. I think uh, he, he'll agree with me that... Uh, I gave him much more confidence than other people, and it clicked well, I think. We're excited to be collaborating with the Israeli website CTEC, owned by Kalkalist, Israel's leading business newspaper. CTEC is the gateway of the Israeli high-tech to the tech world and vice versa. If you're not already a regular reader, we strongly recommend that you check out kalkalistech.com, C-A-L-C-A-L-I-S-T-E-C-H.com, to stay up to date on all high-impact stories from the Israeli tech scene. I think uh, it's really something about how when we uh, get the best out of people and then they shine. And I think that goes beyond sports into anything, any team play, any, any, any relationship. Uh, and I'm wondering how much that played a part in your life with respect to failure. I mean, you're playing some high stakes situations and you have to be so resilient. And at times, obviously, you didn't always just win. So what gave you the confidence to, to get back up? Because knowing how to get back up, and, and I'm also tying it down to these days in a sense and to resilience, and I'm really curious about your mindset, about your mindset in that respect of how to deal with adversity and failure and when things don't go as planned and how much the ecosystem and the puzzle that you've touched plays a part in this. It's a good question. Failure, failure. There's a sentence I like to use. We're, we, we don't fail as long as we're trying. So once we, we don't try anymore, this is a failure. When you stop trying, you say, that's it. I'm not trying. Putting my hands up. Uh, this is a, a failure, people, I think. Once you keep trying, uh, you never fail. And uh, this is something I'm taking through all my life. 
Um, talking about failing and failure, I mean, I, I'm going through tough situations in life. Since the day I arrived to Israel, I have so many tough moments. I had, if it's uh, the way the Aliyah that uh, we're struggling here in Israel, like with the speaking and uh, the language and like, getting friends and everybody laughing. This is the beginning. Then later leaving home, my parents and living by myself and struggling, a little kid by himself. And this is another struggle. Then later I lost my father during my career, which was tough moments for me. I had two injuries, very tough injuries at the beginning of my career. When I stopped for one year, I didn't play tennis, a back surgery, knee surgery. I had so many moments through my career that I could stop or say, oh, it's enough. How many can I suffer? And uh, for me, when I have tough situations, uh, my tip, I would say, or whatever I do, I always uh, lean on people. I never think that I can do it by myself. I never say, Andy, you are here by yourself. You came to the world and you are Wimbledon champion by yourself. Nobody helped. Thank you. No. So everything I do in life, I have people around me. This is something that I'm focusing a lot. Uh, Ronan knows me and he knows that I have lots of friends behind. I always trying to keep myself and surround myself with positive friends, people that I can talk to, if it's a family member, if it's my wife, if it's a good friend of mine. And this is something that I focus a lot you, since I was a little kid, to surround myself with good people, with positive people, people that I can talk to. And in the tough moments that I have, also the good ones, yeah? I'm trying to to lean on those people, to, to, to talk to them, to share my thoughts, to, to share my my sadness or my happiness, or to, to share what I feel. And uh, once I share and once I talk about it, I can get either good uh, consulting or either like good energy from the other people, even though I just taking it out of my system, taking it out of my body, it's already helping. So for me, talking a lot to people that I have confidence in, helped me a lot through my life. Uh, and I'm talking since I was a little kid. I was a guy that I was coming, if at the beginning it was my mother that I used to come and talk to, later my coaches, my friends. I, I always try to share uh, my tough moments and uh, then get the solution with them, with myself, finding the solution for this. Uh, but um, this is something that I, I still do. What are the parameters, or let's say, who do you not, like who's not in that circle? You have an amazing circle. It's really, really, it's really true. But what is your KPI of saying no to someone? So people that uh, I took out of my life, I'm not consulting with it. People with, listen, you know, in, in life, there are people that there are energy givers and energy takers. You know, the people that you call to and they're, oh my God, they're like, give you so much energy that you want to go and, and kill the world already, you know, do something. And there are people that once you call them and say, listen, I have a problem. Uh, forget about it. You're not going to succeed anyway. Don't try, Andy. Don't. It's too much. You know, and now there are so many people doing this and that. And Those are the people that you call and they take your energy down. I'm trying to get them out of my my life, kind of, you know. I can stay with them. Hi, how are you? How are you? And that's it. I'm not going to call them when I have anything, like, serious to do. Okay, you're saying this is easy. Okay, so, like, a few things. Sorry for personally knowing you, okay? You're a very nice person, okay? And second... You're very, very successful and famous, meaning that the amount of people who want to suck the energy out of you, okay, and like, or want to be around you, okay, let's, let's divide it to 50%, 50% are a lot, right? So how do you go by being a nice person and also taking them out of your life? Like, it's, it's against his nature. As a leverage person, you know, it's against his nature. He's a nice person. 
uh, nice person, yes. And at the same time, you know, that when I surround myself with people, I know like the people that I can really talk to and really consult with and really do something big with and really going to push me to to do bigger things than what I can or capable of thinking I can do. So I can be nice to people. It doesn't mean I have to do things with them or consult with them or sit and talk to about my my tough situations that I'm confronting in life. So I'm, I'm, I know how to divide those people. You know? I'm being nice because this is my character. Again, my character, I think that... Uh, Helped me a lot in getting those tough times. I think it's a, it's my energy. It's my 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 positiveness. I think one of the the things that I I like in myself is that in every situation I look on the good things. Everything in life, no matter what happened to me, no matter how bad the situation is, I always trying to take the good things out of the situation. Even when I got injured for one year, I didn't play. I always looked on what I can do now. How can I practice? How can I get stronger? How I'm going to get much stronger when I come back? I, I always trying to look on the positive things. This is a way of uh, of training that I did through my life uh, with my psychologist. I, I work with a... She wasn't a sports psychologist, by the way. She was a, a therapist, a couple therapist, which I work with together with Yoni. So we have a couple therapist. She used to live in Denver and calling her every week, and she was traveling with us a lot. So with her, I was talking a lot about um, all the mental skills that I have. I think one of the mental skills that I, I, I built to myself, and I worked hard on that, was like how to think positive. And I think thinking positive is not like, ah, I just think positive, and that ah, I will think positive. It's something that you need to work on it, and you have to like put it like, on, on daily basis, when you look on a situation, to look on the good side of the situation. For example, uh, um, even the way you, we talk, you know, like instead of saying not much, say a lot. I don't have not much of uh, whatever. <laughs> so trying to, to play with the words even. And it's something that you have to work on. I, I don't have the example now in English so what? Well. <laughs> but... Uh, Every negative way of putting things, even if you think it's positive, try to put it in a positive way of, of saying it. There's a great sentence of like taking every characteristic from positive to negative meaning. Jealousy is a negative uh, context, but com competitiveness is the positive of jealousy, right? So it's putting on the pink glasses. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, for example, saying... Uh, um, not too many, I didn't make, uh, I didn't miss too many shots. Okay, let's say, I, did, I didn't miss too many shots today, which is positive, right? I didn't miss too many shots. I wouldn't say that. I would say, I put a lot of balls in the court today. So you, you understand what I'm trying to say? Like saying it in a positive way and not in a negative way. There's the famous uh, Thomas Edison example, where he's in, I just found a thousand ways that making a light, light bulb go on doesn't work. You you understand right what I'm saying? Like in, in a way, it's from in English to to say. But what I'm trying to say is that I'm practicing on it. I, I used to practice a lot on like my positiveness, and when I come to the court to stay positive, even so, sometimes I wanted to break the racket, and I was nervous, and I was I, I put it in a positive way. I, I, I was jumping. I was doing on purpose, like to to stay strong, even though I was. Did you ever break a racket? 
You know what? When, when I was young, when I was younger, I did. I was very angry when I was a kid growing up. No, but professionally. And, and then professionally, I never broke a racket. You know, and once in my life, at one time in my life, I broke a racket by mistake, not because I was angry. It was the second point. I would never remember, I would never forget it in my life because this match, I still go to sleep with this match. It was in the, in the quarterfinal of the Olympics, 2004 in Athens. Me and Yoni were playing a match for a medal. And if we win this match against Germany, we're winning a medal. It was amazing. We won the first set. We're losing the second one. So first of all, the second point of the match, um, I'm hitting a, a shot and I broke the strings, which never happened to me. I don't break strings during the match. Never happened to me, never, never. But I hit it bad on the frame and I break the string. So as a joke, you know, I'm just throwing the racket. Oh, it was the second point of the match. So I'm like throwing the racket, like, but not craziness, like throwing it and I broke the racket. Now, when you break the racket, no matter if you laugh and you break it, the umpire has to give you a warning. And he gave me a warning. He gave me a warning. So I said, come on. He was a guy from Brazil. Carlos, come on. Why do you get... You know, it's nothing. It's the second point. You know, I'm not nervous. It's just like, you know, for finals, Andy, I have to give you. Okay. We continue with the match. We won the first set. We lost the second set. Third set, 2-1 for them. 30-15, I'm serving. You only miss a ball on top of the net. The ball comes back to him and he's like swinging the racket to hit the ball outside of the court. Now, if he hits it, we get the point penalty. I remember it so slow, like he's putting it away, throwing the ball, saying, only law! And he, the ball is out, we got the point penalty. We lost the game 3-1, we lost the match, we lost the medal. Uh, so this is the only time I broke a racket. He started in slow motion. Yoni, no! It's slow motion. Andy's going to think about that game a lot today. <laughs> Andy, I'm, I'm curious, how much, what, what advice would you give people who are trying to tap into what their talent is, what they could be really good at? And when I say talent, I mean talent holistically. So people could be really good at stuff, but just not be passionate about it. And you've discussed how much passion is such an important part of the equation. And I'm wondering how can people tap into that? And, and I'm also having a thought that it's fascinating that your father, in many senses, pushed you towards tennis and that clicked. So he had some intuition or maybe it's a chicken and egg situation and somehow he uh, implanted that passion in you, but he didn't want you to play soccer. I don't know if that's something that you had in mind and he pulled you away from or if it's just something that he was leading the way and you like really harmoniously tapped into it but where, how does it all come together like what advice would you give people in that respect so yeah my father he wanted me to play tennis. I remember him once after school I went to play soccer and I didn't tell him I didn't go to practice I remember him watching me finishing the soccer and he took me by the ear I still remember I still have pain here he took me like this he dragged me by the ear to the tennis uh, practice, he, he knew I'm, I'm good at tennis. And when you're young, like I said, the big piece, the piece of the puzzle, when the parents are important, that was a time that I didn't know what's good for me when I was young. And my father knew I'm good at tennis, I can do well there, I was one of the best in Israel maybe. So he dragged me and pushed me like to keep going on tennis. And I'm saying that because one of the, the things for people to do well, I think you guys know it from your work or for what you do, when you do something with passion, it means you, you're going to keep doing it every day and you're not going to go to sleep and you're going to give up on many things and you're willing to do everything to, to succeed when you have this passion. 
And one of the keys of doing well in life is uh, persistence, you say, atmada, you say, like, uh, consistently. So it's like, it's not it's not working hard. Working hard, many people working hard, like for a day, two, for a week, for one. And then they stop because that's enough and they keep going on the other thing and they work hard on the other thing. So lots of the people working hard in life. I think working hard, it's one thing. I think what's uh, it's more important is like doing it every day more and more and more and more, another day, another day. And this is when people do well, when they keep doing it consistently, day after day after day, and they don't go to sleep and they give up on things. And and this is why you need this passion to do something that you like or I don't know, something that you believe in that can change the world, that will make influence on people. Something that you have the passion to do because then you can come every day and just focus on, on that. And uh, I think this is something that I, I had since uh, I was a little kid, something that uh, I did uh, well. And uh, like my parents helped at the beginning. And later on when I was growing up, it came for me. I knew that it's good for me. You know, the difference between tennis and, and soccer, basketball, is soccer and basketball, when you're in team, the, the coach said, um, you have a practice at 10 o'clock in the morning. What happens if you don't come at 10? You get suspended. You get fined or something by the coach. In tennis, we don't have it. The self-commitment that we need, the self-discipline, it's, it's way here, you know, much shy. Because if, I don't, you know, if I'm not going to wake up at 10, Nobody's going to wake up because if I'm not going to eat what I need to eat, nobody's going to eat. If I'm not going to sleep the time I need to sleep. So I do it because I need to do it. I know I'm, I'm going to improve and I, this is why I do it because this is what's going to make me better. I don't do it because somebody told me to do it. I don't do it because the coach told me and I'm afraid of somebody. But isn't, isn't it a thing? Okay, I'll ask you this because you're also an entrepreneur afterwards. So you take that state of mind that you had as an athlete also as an entrepreneur. Okay, but the thing is, isn't it a feature that because of you like also pleasing socially, okay, is that when you take responsibility of your coaches and everybody that invested in you, okay, your discipline is very high. And if you wouldn't have those people, maybe you wouldn't wake up because it may be not important for you as opposed to you know how important for – like one of my theories about you is also with the Yoni thing is actually knowing how important it was also for Yoni – made you even more self-disciplined. You know what? It, even if I ask you guys, and we ask hundreds of people, who was the guy that influenced you more in life? If it was a teacher, father, somebody, a businessman, some, each one of us has someone that influenced him, that told him something, that believed in him. That each one of us has someone that you can learn on and say, this guy helped me so much. Because of him, I learned so much. He's so influential. And I think each one of us has this person in life that helped us being who we are and be successful and be good at what we do. And uh, I think um, we have to find this right person. We never know who is the right person. I think this right person is somebody that is positive. I think this guy is a guy that believed in us and uh, he gave us like, he showed us a different way that some other people didn't show us. I don't know, we, we had confidence in this guy and uh, and especially he had, he had a few minutes also to look at us. That's what people are missing, you know? Yes. So like just a few minutes. You, you talked about entrepreneur. You're talking about entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. As a tennis player, I started imagine that when entrepreneur, I was an entrepreneur as well. And, and yeah, and I had my startup and everything. I'm related to this world. But think about it. When I'm 
five years old, yeah, I have this dream of being a Wimbledon champion and practicing every day. When I, I remember him going to with my father when I was 14, 15, 16 to sponsors and my father told him, listen, Andy is one of the best. He's going to win Wimbledon. He, nobody believed. Everybody laughed at us. So he showed him the exit and he told him, listen, one day he's going to be here and we need the money to travel. He doesn't have the money to travel. He doesn't have the... We need... Nobody was believing it. When we won Wimbledon, I was in 2003 when I made the semifinal, final Wimbledon, suddenly sponsors and everybody wanted to be part. The beginning was very tough. I heard many, this is like a startup, yeah? When you go and raise the money at the beginning, nobody wanted. So this is one thing. The other thing is when people don't believe in you, you know, you come as an entrepreneur, new entrepreneur, you're coming with a crazy idea. I'm going to win Wimbledon. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to... And everybody's laughing at you. How are you going to do it? And there are so many people that giving you advice. No, if you do this, do this, change this, change that. I had so many people didn't believe in me in my career. You know, when we were, I was 20, almost 20, uh, the federation, um, they came to our coach, Ronan, and they told him, listen, Ronan, because there were so many players ranked between 150 to 500. So they said, listen, we can focus Ronan on three players only. You're going to coach Neil Baldwin, Eyal Ehrlich, Noam Baer, and Noam Kuhn, sorry. These four players. And you cannot coach Andy and Yoni because we don't have the budget for them. We don't believe they can do well. So they didn't believe in us, you know, the federation. the Ronan Morali, this coach that everybody has someone. So this is our someone, Ronan Morali. He believed in us. And he coached me since I was a little kid. And he always believed in me. And he told the federation, listen, I'm going to coach them for free. I'm not going to give up on Andy and Yoni. I'm going to coach them for free, and I believe in them. And the Federation said, listen, we're not going to afford it. We're not going to pay for them. We don't believe in them. So you do whatever you want. We're going to focus only on those four players that we get, we told you. And he coached us. Two months later, I suddenly started winning matches. Four months later, I was already invited for Davis Cup. And six months later, I was one of the top players in Israel. Um, not talking about two years later that Yoni and me were one of the best players in the world's doubles team. And just thinking of maybe if Ronan would listen to the federation of not believing in us and don't want to support us. So as an entrepreneur, you're going to hear a lot of no's and people that don't believe in you. And, and still, if you have somebody believing, if you believe in your dream, your chances to be successful are very high and you have to ignore the all you know, the noises that you hear, a lot of them, and, you know, lean, like, again, on people that you trust, people that want for you good. And uh, this is also something that's very similar because I heard a lot of, when I started my start, oh, it's not going to work, it's not going to be this, and that. And you, you keep going with what you believe in. Uh, so it's it's very similar. You're seeing also the belief and also consistency. Like, if you're consistent with your belief, you know, it'll work. Definitely, definitely. You can't jump for thing from things with subject to subject. No, 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 no. You have to focus to be consistent, and things will click at the end. I think uh, I, I like to use it more when the situation is bad. But there is a no matter if the situation is good or bad, it's gonna change. And and people, when you know things are bad and terrible, like we experience now in Israel, probably it's gonna change, and it's gonna change for good and for a long time. And uh, yeah, I really believe in it. My grandma is actually a Holocaust survivor, and she's always saying it. So that's something that's always stuck with me from a young age. What would you say your superpower is? Um, you know the the superpower. I think um, 
my my energy, my happiness. I think uh, you know to connect to people, to 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 relate. I, one of the things that I like most, I think this is my whole life, my whole day is like getting in touch with people, um, talk to people, meet new people, and uh, I love it. I love it. I think uh, one of the powers that uh, I have, and I think top athlete, or we talked a little bit about it, when you ask you what's your favorite uh, um, animal is, you know, so people say dolphin, horse, like uh, power and this and that. I think one of the animals that, uh, how do you say? Characterize. Yeah, uh, most of the top athletes and successful people is the woodpecker. And now you ask me why the woodpecker? You know, what did the woodpecker go on the wood and going for hours like this? And they do like, you know, hours on the tree until they make the hole and they find the food and they survive, right? They don't do two on this tree. Oh, it didn't help. Let's go on the other tree. Let's go on the other tree. Let's go. No, because they're going to die, right? And survive. Even if you do on your hand now, like this, only with the finger like this, you're going to do five times you're not going to feel anything. If you're going to do like this for two minutes, you're going to feel a little... But if you're going to do like this for an hour, two hours, you're going to feel pain here. So this is something that I think the top athlete, top businessmen, top people, they are very like the woodpecker. You know, they don't stop. They keep going, they keep going until they make the hole and they get the food. I love it. The woodpecker, I love it. You know, I also have to add another superpower to you. You also are great at empowering people. Your empowerment skills, making other people, you know, better around you. I've seen you do it like a lot, and uh, it's a really great feature. What, what, what would you say is your kryptonite, though? Your weakness? Oh my God, my kids! I think my kids are my kryptonite. My yes, it's it's definitely. You know, I I lost so much um, time with them. I wasn't here for the first one when he got born. I was in the middle of a tournament in Monte Carlo, so I wasn't there his birth. The second one, my daughter, I came for a day and I, I, I flew for tournaments for two months. So I didn't, I wasn't there for the first two ones and all the gun and the kindergarten and the holidays. I missed a lot of that. I was traveling nine months. So I had this, you know, like we said, always they have the, the Jewish guilt. People around the world have this. So I had the father guilt. I, I always, I missed something and they will remember. So I'm trying now to, to really be for them and go and do everything for them. So I think this is my crypto, my, 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 my kids. And um, other than that, um, I think uh, I'll have to think about my crypto and I'll get back to you because um, I'm trying to be happy. I'm trying to stay happy, positive. I'm just looking for a way to break you. That's it. <laughs> I always say that you have to look on the... I will try to say it in English slowly. I will say that you have to look on the half glass full, right? And for those who, for those who stuff for them to look on it, I suggest to transfer the water to a smaller glass. You understand? <laughs> <laughs> My advice to those people who can't see can't yeah. can't see the half glass full is transfer it to a smaller glass. Exactly. <laughs> Beautiful. And I, and, I, and by the way, I think it's such great advice for people these days uh, in Israel uh, because the glass is pretty overwhelming. So that's that's a really nice way to put it. So thank you for that. And in general, thank you for this conversation because it's really it's really beautiful to hear your energy and to sense it. Uh, and, and I just really think that you are a very empowering person by nature and it's beautiful to learn from you. So thank you for this. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Love you. Follow also Andy and his Instagram. It's always fun. And you always see the really great things. Um, so 
His Instagram is Andy Ram. And thank you so much, man. Thank you all the time for everything. Thanks. Love you guys. Bye. That's all for today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please consider subscribing to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, if you have a moment, we would really appreciate it if you could rate and review our podcast on the platform you're listening to. This will help others find our show. And as always, if you know anyone who you think would enjoy our podcast, please share it with them. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back as usual on the first of the month. Real Life Superpowers Superpowers.